Good evening, everyone. So glad to have you here in the house or watching from your house uh, and tuning in online, whether you're on Facebook or on through our app. We appreciate you being a part and engaging with us tonight. So welcome to Element City Church. I know there's a couple people that are kind of brand new, so I know it takes courage coming to a new place, and we are honored and grateful to have you here with us. As some folks are checking kids in and still making their way in, we are glad to have you here. We want to invite you, if you are new, and you don't have our app, is you can download our app from your app store. If you just look up Element City Church, it's free. We travel with you. You can get everything from playlists to that's where you can find out uh, things that are coming on in the calendar. You can go back to sermons and watch things over the last... I guess five years if you wanted to, uh, but you can find out different things and stay connected with us in, a, in that way. And if you are new, we'd love to invite you to our 10-minute party, which is in that back corner right after service. If you're here in the house, I'd love to meet you. Kind of, We have a free gift for you. In fact, it's the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. I'm telling you, it is. And so we have a free uh, kind of bag for you back there. If you're new, if you're new online, we'd love for you to fill out the connection card. You can do that if you're new in the house or online. You can also text our number, which is 3406868. Text the word hello, and you'll get a couple other texts real quick, and you can fill that out. That'll get you started connecting around here. And again, we'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party. If you're here in the house online, fill out the connection card. We'll try to reach out to you this week. That's a way to, to find a connection here. So again, we are thrilled to have you here. And uh, tonight is kind of a, a special night. Uh, we're kind of taking pause as we get started. We're going to have a great time of worship. Uh, Lyle's going to wrap up our series in Habakkuk. You're going to be blessed by that. We'll close with some worship. So if you're new, it's kind of we're going to sing for a little bit. We'll kind of look into God's word. We'll sing to close, and then I'll give a couple of class uh, kind of ending announcement type thing. But tonight, we wanted to hit pause and and honor and remember a dear dear friend to us. Uh, Brian Lee was the lead pastor at this church and a good buddy who we helped launch this church back in 2013. And tragically, he passed away a year ago. And we're coming up on that year here in a couple days. And we, uh, that's, that's tough. And it's tough for his family and for his parents. And we just have been praying for them this last year. There's no words to put to that. Some of you have lost loved ones that are close to you. And uh, there's really no words to that. And it's no easy way to capture that. And so as a board, we've been thinking over this last year, how can we kind of continue to, to we are so blessed. Elements would not be elements without Brian Lee and the influence and impact that he had upon this church that continues to ripple effect out. And um, we wanted to honor him. And so what we've done, and I thank our board for kind of leading through this and helping us decide that we're creating kind of this Brian Lee memorial blessing that we want to do annually to bless either some new church startups, uh, some church plants, some smaller churches around town. One of the things that Brian loved to do and did often on the side that you probably never even knew uh, is that he and uh, his dad sometimes would help and others would help, would go around to some churches and they would put in audio and video and tech equipment into those churches that would be a blessing to them. And so the last couple months, we've kind of had someone in our, on our mind, and uh, Rob Davis is a good friend, I've been known him for a long time, and he was part of Christ Community Church. They ended up launching a new church called Living Branch uh, last year. As COVID started, it was kind of a crazy time to launch a new church, but they have launched down in kind of the Vale area. They actually just started meeting eight weeks ago at Sienega High School, and so they're meeting there. And so this last Wednesday, I called up Rob and I said, Rob, 
hey, we want to do this Brian Lee uh, Memorial Blessing Fund and where we want to give $2,500 every year uh, to bless some church startups and some nonprofits and other churches just as a way to, to honor Brian's memory, as a way for us as a church to give back. We talked often and have talked often around here of we're blessed to be a blessing. And we want to help bless others. And so when I called Rob and said, hey, we'd like for you to be the first recipients at Living Branch Church. We want to kind of just bless your church and help. And he said, you're not going to believe uh, the conversation I had this last weekend, so last Sunday, with this audio video team. And they said, hey, Rob, we really have got to update some of our equipment. And, uh, and Rob said, you know, as a, as a lead pastor to lead pastor, you know you're always watching the bottom line. You're trying to figure out how do you do things. And and they said it was going to be $1,500 or so. And, and I just bit the bullet and said, yes, we have to do it. And so we're going to do it. And you're calling me the day after we made that decision. And um, God's in this. And it's a cool God story just to know. And so we're going to write a check to Living Branch Church on behalf of kind of this Brian Lee Memorial blessing. And we want to do that annually every year and kind of bless some other church startups and other churches around the city. And we think God's going to do that to, to be an honor, not just to his memory and, and to a part of the partnership here at Element City Church, but a blessing to the, the, the church around our city. And so could we just say thanks to God for that? Again, a big thank you to you and your generosity because that's what helps us be able to do this. And we are blessed to be a blessing. I want to thank our board for being a part of that decision and helping us do that. And so tonight, what I would love to do is just kind of lead us in prayer. And I would love to pray a blessing over the Lee family. Uh, you can imagine this is an incredibly challenging year and uh, still a lot going through. And so if you would stand with me, we want to pray a blessing over their family, over his mom and dad, and uh, also pray for our Church of the Week. Every week we pray for a different church around the city, and this week is Valley Christian Church and Pastor Jesse Craig. And so let's pray for them and for our evening together tonight. God, we love you, and we thank you so much. We thank you so much for our friend and the blessing of being able to live life alongside Brian Lee and Kimberly and Lakin and Lawson and Landon. God, we ask your blessing over Doug and Fran. We pray, God, we know this has been a challenging year and there's no words to put to that. There are no words that suffice or capture the shock and uh, the challenge. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to minister your comfort and your grace in ways that only you can do. And would you minister healing and hope and help into their lives, we pray, especially this week, as we remember. We thank you for Brian. We thank you for the ripple effect and the impact that he has upon this church and, and that will continue to be. We thank you for the opportunity to express generosity uh, and on behalf and in partnership with his memory and partnership as a church to bless Living Branch. And so we pray your blessing over them. We thank you that this is something that meets them in a specific need and a specific moment. How cool is that that you would work that out? And God, we pray for Valley Christian tonight and Pastor Jesse Craig. We ask your blessing over them as a church. God, there's a million plus people in this city that are not connected to any faith community. And we can't reach them all, but we need your church, the Capital C Church, to reach people who are not connected to your son yet. And so tonight, we're asking your blessing over Valley Christian and over all your churches around this city. God, would you help us be useful and effective in reaching people on behalf of Jesus? And so... Tonight, we turn our attention in the direction of your son 
And we ask that in this worship set is these are special songs and meaningful songs that were for Brian and that they are for the life of this church as we sing them, as we worship you, Jesus, and put our heart and our attention and our affection on you. Would you stir our hearts tonight? We pray that you'd speak through Lyle tonight and through our time in this next hour together. We ask and invite your spirit to move. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.
mountain life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From lies was cried to final breath. And Jesus commands my destiny.
understand me You understand me You understand me God You understand me So I throw
message. I pray that our hearts would be ready to see, receive your word. pray that those words would wash over us, God. Would you speak clearly through this time? Lord, we ask that you move in a new way tonight. Reveal something in our hearts, God. Sing that one more time. I will rest in the Father's hands. Leave the rest in the Father's hands. I will rest in the Father's hands. Leave the rest in the Father's hands. We know we can bring anything before you. Would we live in that confidence that you are, you are always there with us, God? Through trials and uncertainty, through the joy, God, you are always there. So we thank you. We thank you for being good. You are great, God. God, we love you. And we're excited for what you have in store for us tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Amen. Well, here we are. We're week four of our Habakkuk series. This is the last week. Uh, if you've been tracking with us, uh, just appreciate you hanging in there for that many five-minute nerd outs. Uh, if you haven't been to one yet, you're about to find out what the five-minute nerd out is. Uh, but man, it's, it's been a blessing for me just to study this book and to uh, be bringing just the things that God's teaching me, really, the, the, the insights that he's been showing me and just sharing them with people. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from people at Emmanuel and at Elements uh, just on how that's been impacting 
blessing them. Uh, and it just, it's not lost on me. It's, it's beautiful that the Holy Spirit works so powerfully uh, when we dive into his word. We believe that. So uh, tonight's message is called Trusting God's Sovereignty in uncertainty. And that's true. Uh, the sermon series is titled Sovereignty and Uncertainty. It's kind of like in a movie, right? Like if they have the movie and they say the title of the movie at some point in the dialogue, and you're like, that's cheesy. Come on. I totally did that. I'll own it. It's cheesy. That's what we're calling this last one. We're trusting God's sovereignty in uncertainty. And we're going to see what that means tonight and unpack that. So uh, we're just going to dive right into our five minute nerd out. We've got our little clip. It's ready to go. Five, I'm sure. five, yep. Didn't Micah get those bends so nicely on the guitar? Let's give it up for Micah, by the way. He does a great job. So for those of you who are new, our five-minute nerd out, this is just our chance to get context. Really, that's what it's about. Because uh, I believe that if we understand the context of Scripture that we're going to be studying, we're going to draw better application from it. Uh, so we're going to start it tonight. This uh, first week, what do we do? We talked about the, the line of kings in Israel, that after King David and King Solomon died, we talked about the fact that the northern tribes, they had no good kings. The southern tribes had six good kings. Uh, and then we talked a little bit about the Babylonians. Who were they? Why were they someone to be feared? The fact that Habakkuk's talking about these people and trembling and worried about them, uh, what's the big deal with the Babylonians? And so we kind of saw that they're brutal people. They're not very kind. They were actually uh, just savages. And so uh, last week we looked at the idea of God's justice. We got to see uh, how God took them down and how the fall of the Babylonian Empire happened just 73 short years after they kind of took over uh, as being the, the big power. But tonight uh, we want to look at the fall of Jerusalem, because that's what completes the context of this book. We've kind of been piecing it all together thus far, and uh, so we're going to look at the fall of Jerusalem through the eyes of Jeremiah the prophet. So our five-minute nerd out starts right about now. Let's see if I can do it. So Jeremiah's prophetic career spanned the reign of five of those kings. Josiah, we talked about, was the last good king in all of Israel. Uh, and so Josiah was the first king under whom uh, Jeremiah prophesied. And so as we've been going through Habakkuk, you've seen that Habakkuk was worried. He was upset that the people of God, just they, they weren't close to God. What was the deal with that? Uh, and so with Josiah being the last good king, he brought these reforms about. And crazy enough, not a single average person was following that. He did all this work to restore the temple to its glory, to get the, the things done the way that God wanted it to be done. And the people were still disobedient. They were still sacrificing to false gods. They were still sacrificing uh, ch child sacrifices, all this barbaric stuff that God was frowning upon. And so after Josiah died, he reigned for 31 years. Uh, Jehoahaz took over. He had three months to reign. That's not a very good reign. Spoiler alert. Jehoiakim, he took over. He reigned for 11 years before he died at the age of 36. Early in his reign, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. Nebuchadnezzar pulls up into town. He decides to put a siege uh, on uh, Jerusalem so that he can get uh, Jehoiakim to just submit to him, basically. He wants to get tribute from him, and he's like, hey, I'll keep you protected if you give me uh, some stuff. And so he, he agrees to do it, but 11 years later, he kind of reneges on the deal. And as a result, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has to come back and he has to take them out, right? So he surrounds Jerusalem once again and he starts the siege, the second siege of Jerusalem. Uh, and so during the midst of this second siege, that's when Jehoiachin takes over because his father Jehoiakim dies. So Jehoiachin, he also gets only three months of a reign. So not very long. So he gets captured by Nebuchadnezzar uh, and that's when the, the siege of Jerusalem is successful there. Uh, so 
he puts Zedekiah in charge, and he's like, all right, we're going to let this guy Zedekiah reign because he's going to not try to renege on any deals. And so that goes well. He's the brother of Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, by the way. So he gets an 11-year reign, but he makes the same mistake as his brother. He decides that he is also going to stop supporting the Babylonians. He reneges on his deal, and guess what happens? Nebuchadnezzar swoops back in. And this time it's about the year, uh, probably about 587. Uh, some scholars would say it's 586. And they, they start this second siege of Jerusalem. So all the while, Jeremiah's been prophesying. If you read Jeremiah's books, you can see, or his book, you'll see the prophecies there. You can also see the line of kings in 2 Kings, uh, where it talks about this. Uh, but Jeremiah... Uh, said this, he said, anyone who knew the Lord and knew uh, that he was, Jeremiah was, the spokesman of the Lord, they had options uh, that would lead to their safety during these trying times. It's not to mean that uh, safety meant that life would be uh, as usual. It didn't mean that there wasn't going to be suffering. There was going to actually be a lot of great loss. Jeremiah prophesied that. But he said that the path of safety still led to a hope and a future. Jeremiah sets it out this way in 21, Jeremiah 21, verses 8 through 10. We'll have it on the screen here. It says, You shall also say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who dwells in the city will die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who are besieging you will live. And he will have his own life as booty. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he will burn it with fire. Encouraging words, right? Like you get those words and you're just like, sweet, yes, Lord, I receive that. He's basically saying, uh, yeah, if you decide to go into exile and if you willingly allow yourself to be taken captive, I will spare your life and you will see the end of your days. You will get to live out the length of your life. But if you run away, if you try to self-preserve or any of that, sword, famine, pestilence will come upon you. And guess what? All three of those things struck the people of Jerusalem during that siege of Jerusalem when it finally fell. So uh, we see this here in Ze Jeremiah, uh, where are we at? Jeremiah 38, Zedekiah had the option of rescuing his life, right? The king of Israel could save his life. He could save the life of his family. If only he would be faithful to the prophecies of Jeremiah. Now, if you know about Jeremiah, his nickname was the weeping prophet. And that was because hardly anybody ever listened to any of the messages that he delivered. Can you imagine if you had 40 years of your life that God marked out saying, hey, I'm going to put a message on your lips that you're going to have to share. And hardly anybody's ever going to believe it. Hardly anyone's even going to respect you. And that's why he was the weeping prophet. It wasn't that he was a weak man. He was a strong man. Like he, he was... Gosh, this guy had it together to be able to endure that. And so he prophesies to Zedekiah what can happen. Zedekiah refuses to listen to Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 38, so he decides to flee for Egypt once the Babylonians breach the walls of Jerusalem. Big mistake. Remember the Babylonians, what were they? They're like leopards. They could hunt people down. So as Zedekiah's running away on the plains of Jericho, we see in scripture that he was captured by the Babylonians. He was taken to the city of Riblah, where he went face to face with Nebuchadnezzar. And these are the last moments of Zedekiah's um, time seeing. He gets to see his sons brought before him, slaughtered, and then the Babylonians gouge out his eyes. So that's the last thing that he would ever see. They fish hooked him like we talked about. They strung him up on the rope. And he, along with 10,000 other captives, 
were brought into exile into Babylon. And thus Jerusalem fell. If you want to know more about that, Jeremiah chapter 39 uh, verses 1 through 7 tells the story. So does 2 Kings 25. It's not encouraging reading, folks. It's not, is it? And yet this is the context of the book of Habakkuk. This is the background of this prophet's book where he starts out questioning, God, why do you allow uh, your people to, to just defame your name? I don't get it. And God responds. And he doesn't really like that answer. He's perplexed by that answer. So God, why would you bring the Babylonians to bring this, uh, this judgment upon us? How could you use an instrument more evil than your own people to bring judgment on them? And God says, don't worry about justice. I'll take care of that. I've got it for you. And so we get to see this response from Habakkuk that despite all the suffering that's on its way, we see a response of faith. We see a response of worship. And so I want to ask you tonight, as circumstances start to change for the worse in your life, could you say that you're a person that responds to those crises, those crises with faith and with worship? And that's the challenge that Habakkuk gives us. That's the context for tonight. So we're going to actually uh, be in Habakkuk chapter 3 tonight. It's the last chapter of the book. Uh, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. If it works for Christopher Nolan, if it works for Quentin Tarantino, to start from the end and work their way back to the beginning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to Tarantino it. So join me. We're going to start in Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 16 through 19 to start. Uh, again, we've always got the notes available in the Bible app, so you can pop it up there. Uh, you can follow along there if you'd like. So Habakkuk chapter 3, 16 through 19 says this. It says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines... The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is a prayer of faith. This is a prayer of worship, a response to say, God... I'm trusting in your sovereignty. These times are scary. These things are crazy. And I don't understand what's about to happen. But what I do understand and what I do know is, God, you've got this. You're in charge. You've made it clear that you've laid out the plan for me. And I can see in the plan the way that you've made all of these things come together. And so we see a response of faith where Habakkuk is able to trust the words of his God. He sees that God's capable not just of declaring his will. He can ensure that every aspect of his will is going to take place. And he realizes that his ultimate source of life is God alone. That he is still God, whether he continues to provide uh, livestock, whether he continues to provide produce, whether he provides anything for him or not. It doesn't matter. These are all temporal blessings, but rather in an unshakable relationship with his covenant, God. In the midst of all this questioning and dialogue, Habakkuk can still call God his own. 
we can still call God our own, regardless of what takes place. And so you get to that end uh, verse there. He talks about, he makes my feet like the deer's. And I'm, listen, if you're like me, you knew Habakkuk 3 was coming up last week, and you're like, oh man, deer's feet. I cannot wait to get into deer's feet, right? You're like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to talk about deer's feet. That's what I want, right? No? Just me? That's fine. That's fine. Well, sometimes you hear preachers preach on something, and I've heard Louis Giglio talk about this uh, passage. So I just got to say, uh, his words uh, have, man, they found their way into this because you just, sometimes you can't help uh, but see a passage a certain way. And so Louis Giglio likes to talk about this. He showed this here. Um, we've got a picture. When, when we think about deer, right, you're probably thinking about, like, oh, man, they like to come up sometimes when I'm up in the mountains, and maybe I'm at a cabin, and they'll eat the little trees, and it's like, oh, how cute, let's take a picture, you know? And that's not the deer that Habakkuk has in mind. This is more of what Habakkuk has in mind. And I, I know, you're probably like, wow, that's not a deer. I know that. I understand. But deer, ibex, mountain goats, all these animals come from the same family, and believe it or not, these are some of the greatest climbers in the entire world. And you're probably just like, what? Really? Like, when we think of climbing, we don't necessarily think of, like, the greatest climbers as being uh, a mountain goat that just kind of makes its way up and just gets up to the top. And yet, this is what God's saying, that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trying times, he can make our feet like the deer's, that we can tread on the high places. And if anybody in the room, if you've ever been to Israel, you've seen the terrain, you've seen the land. This is what Habakkuk has in mind when he's saying that the Lord will give me the feet of a deer to enable me to tread on the high places. Let's take another look at a picture here. Um, this is uh, Tsingino Dam. This is in northern Italy, up by the Alps, kind of by the Swiss border. And um, that's a pretty big dam there. Uh, it's almost straight up that wall. It's, it's pretty serious. And you might be looking at that and like, well, that's pretty, the Alps. Um, but you, you kind of see the little black specks that are on the wall of the dam. Let's zoom in real quick and let's see what that is. Look at that. I want you to meet the alpine ibex. That's the alpine ibex. And what they found was that uh, because of the dam and all the minerals that are in the water, that it makes its way through the rocks. And so these animals, they get a lot of uh, vegetation. They get to eat uh, plants and whatnot, but they need salt for their diet. And what they learned is if they lick the rocks, they're able to get the salt content that they want, that they need. And they started licking at the bottom, and they kind of realized, oh, there's not enough here. And these things are able to climb their way up to the top. There's another picture here just to kind of give you perspective. This is no joke. Their ability to climb is no joke, right? Like, look at that. I'm not a person of heights. Like, I do not like heights. So when this scripture's like, hey, he puts me on the heights, I'm like, Lord, you can keep me down on the ground. I'm okay with that. I don't need to be up on heights if this is what you're talking about. But the reason he's talking about that is these animals, they don't have much of a natural defense to their predators. The thing that they have is their ability to run away, their ability to escape, and uh, it was funny that we talked about this this morning at Emmanuel, and uh, someone came up to me afterwards, and they said that they had just recently, in the last couple months, watched a documentary on these things, which is like, I'm nerding out now. This is awesome, right? Uh, and he said that it's crazy how they had some footage of these things, how they escape when they're able to go down, uh, that mountain lions are just coming after them, and even mountain lions will stop because they're like, yeah, I'm not messing with that. 
right? Like you see that. That is no joke. What enables them to get up there like that? There's a couple things that they have uh, that, that the Lord has blessed them with. And so uh, I think they're, if we go to the next picture here, we've got their split hooves. These are split hooved animals. Just kind of cool, right? Remember Old Testament? What weren't they supposed to eat? Split hooved animals, right? Side, doesn't matter. Anyway, what enables them to be great climbers? Several things. Because of these split hooves, uh, around the outside of the foot, there's this hard protective shell. It's almost like if they have armor over their shoes, like if you're like a knight and you had that armor over your feet. So they have this like hard external shell around the foot, and yet that Material that's in the middle is soft and it's pliable. And so when they step on something, that is able to deform to where the rock kind of fits into that. But that hard shell creates a suction cup around where it is that they step. And so on the end there, they've got kind of this pointed thing. So they can actually use it like a claw. So they've basically got four claws on their front hooves that they're able to just kind of, and because they can split, you go back to the picture of the dam, that's no problem for them. They've got only a couple inches to grab on. So what? They can split the hoof, you get one hook, right, right on the little ledge. They can get that other one, and because it deforms, they, they literally have these, these little suction cups that enable them to climb. And so I'm telling you all this, why? I'm telling you this because these deer feet here, when God's giving us this picture of having deer feet, he's telling us that we have a way of escape. And so I don't know what your climb may be, For some of you, it may be financial difficulty. You're wondering how the bills are gonna be paid. For some of you, it may be health issues. You're dealing with cancer. For some of you, uh, gosh, one of my my best friends who was here last week, they're in town because his father-in-law is battling for his life with COVID. He's been on a ventilator for 10 days now. You know, there's, there's so many situations that we see a steep climb before us. And what God's saying is, you're still gonna be standing in the end. He's enabled us to make our way up the climb that he set before us. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What Habakkuk found in this moment is a miraculous joy. It's miraculous because it shouldn't be, right? He knows that certain death is coming for many of the Israelites, and yet he's still able with faith to say, God, the Lord is my strength. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. That's not a normal prayer to pray in that moment, is it? The person who would pray that prayer is one of two things. They're either crazy, just insane. Like there's someone who's like, hey, like I love suffering and punishment and pain. And we see folks like that sometimes that just do things and you're like, what are you doing? Like it's just they're not quite right in the head. And then you've got the other type of person. They know something. They know something. And Habakkuk knew something about his God, didn't he? He knew that God was able to sustain him. He knew that when life was going to get tough, that he could still be standing in the end if he followed the promises of God. And so when life presents the steep climb in front of us, typically there's three responses that we take. The first one is the cynical response. We just get critical. Stuff starts to go down. Oh, of course that happened. I always have bad luck, you know? Like how many times, gosh, when I worked at Apple, the number of people who came in, these things always fail on me. And they're like literally throwing it around. I'm like, no wonder, right? It's just this cynical attitude where instead of being the salt and light of the earth, we just become salty. That's not the response God wants from us. Two, we see the carnal response. 
In Habakkuk's time, the people of God, uh, just the light that they were meant to shine, they just started to dim. What's the carnal response mean? It means that when God's light is just kind of dim, you learn to see better in the dark. Rather than going and continuing to shine the light of Christ, you just start to, to blend in with the culture and just kind of go with the flow. And we see a third response in most people, and it's the response of self-preservation. This was the response Zedekiah took. It didn't work out very well for him. And maybe that's something that Habakkuk could have kept in the back of his mind. I don't know why that this isn't the one that he took, because he easily could have grabbed his family. He knew what was coming. God told him. And he could have grabbed his family and been like, yeah, Dubrovnik, right? Everyone loves Croatia this time of year. Let's head on over there. And instead, what's his response? He shows us that there's a fourth way. Habakkuk's response was the response of revival prayer. Revival prayer. He says this in Habakkuk 3, chapter 2, back at the beginning of the chapter. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And it begs the question, when life gets difficult for us, what's our response? Are you one of the first three? Or are we going to be people in this room? Are we going to be men and women who are willing to stand in the gap and pray the prayer of revival prayer? Look at Habakkuk's response. The way that he starts, Lord, I've heard of your fame. He's recalling the deeds of the Lord. He's recalling the ways that he's seen this great and glorious God at work. And he's asking God, we want to see this happen again in our time. And I don't know about you, I want to see that in my time. I want to see in Tucson the glory of God poured out amongst people. I want to see God at work and moving in people's lives. And I want to see thousands upon thousands of people just responding to that, responding to the glory of God. And if it's going to happen, it's got to happen the way that Habakkuk uh, approached it here. It's going to happen with revival prayer. I want to be a believing person when times get tough. I want to be a person who's willing to stand in the gap. And I don't know if you know this, most revivals that have happened, if you study any great awakening, it usually starts with a small group of men or a small group of women who are willing to pray the revival prayer. You can look up the Haystack Five. That's one example. You've got the noonday prayer revival that happened in New York City. Uh, gosh, it was, the, I believe, the 1800s, and this Dutch pastor came over, and he started these noontime prayer meetings, and they just started to see a move of God. People, like, alcoholism's going down, crime's going down. All these amazing things were happening in New York City, all because of a lunchtime prayer meeting. But the person that I want to draw us to uh, is Rodney Gypsy Smith. Maybe you've heard of him from Mark Batterson's book, uh, The Circle Maker. Uh, but let me read you this quote. Uh, it's kind of adapted from that book. Gypsy Smith, by the way, he was a, an Englishman. He was born as a gypsy. That's why his nickname was Gypsy, as you probably figured out. Uh, and he had this conversion to Christ at the age of 16. And uh, another revival preacher kind of came around and was like, this kid's got something. And so he took him with him. And uh, for the rest of this kid's life, man, he grew up, it was like 50 plus times. He took a ship back and forth between England and the United States to preach at all of these revivals. And they were so successful. And when people asked him about what was needed for a successful revival, this is what Gypsy said. He said, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. And there, 
on your knees. Pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that circle. What I love about that is it's encouraging us to internalize the work that we want to see God do in other people's lives. We are asking God to do the work that we want to see him to do amongst the people in our own hearts first and foremost. And so are we going to be people who turn to cynicism? Are we going to be people who just become critical when life starts to squeeze us? Are we going to blend into the carnal culture around us? Are we going to pursue meism? Or are we going to be people who are willing to get into the room and to draw the circle around us and just say, God, I remember the work that you've done before. I've seen your works on display. Do them again in our time. Will you begin that revival work inside this circle? And if you don't have a piece of chalk, you're missing the point, (laughs) right? What's important about this is the posture. Some of you, it's not as easy to get down on your knees. One person today was like, I was trying to figure out your age based on how many times you were getting down to your knees uh, in your sermon. And it's about the posture that we take before the Lord. Are we approaching him in his holiness to ask him to do this work that we know is going to be so significant? Are we going to be people who are going to see God move in our time because we pray this prayer? I love this from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, blow the ram's horn in Zion, announce a sacred fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation. Skipping to verse 17, it says, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, have pity on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Listen, no circumstance and no body can stop God from starting a revival inside your circle, except you. And if we were to see that move of God happen, if we were to see God do that work inside that circle, inside the sphere of influence in our lives, I think we would see four things, and we'll do these real quickly. One, we would see an awareness of a great and a glorious God. If you start praying the prayer for revival and asking God to move, he wants to answer that prayer. Trust me. And if you start to open your eyes to the ways that God is at work around you, you're going to see that he is all over the place. And you're going to see that this isn't just buddy Jesus that's like, hey, let's just get a Snuggie and let's watch Netflix together. Jesus, right? Like we think we have buddy Jesus to navigate life. No. This is the God of the universe and there's thunder and there's lightning around his throne. And the angels there are singing constantly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the God that we get to worship. This is the God that we're asking to move. And when we see that great and glorious God in our life, it does a second thing. It convicts our heart of sin according to the character of God. I love that phrase at the end. It's easy to talk about conviction, right? We can walk out of here tonight and be like, man, that sermon was convicting. I felt convicted. Right, I don't pray the prayer of revival prayer. What happens if you go and do nothing with it? What happens with that conviction? What was the point of it? 
but when conviction happens because we have an awareness of the character of God and we see his holiness, that conviction burns within us and it means that we have to respond. We can't just be convicted, we have to be changed. If we pray that prayer, if you're willing to pray that prayer and you start to see a great and glorious God at work around you, I promise you, he's gonna start to burn away the sin that was in your life. And listen, I think God was probably sorry that he had to bring the Babylonians to punish the Israelites, and yet God knew that that was the only way he was gonna rip that part of their character out of them. You may be facing a difficult climb. Maybe the financial issues for you, the strain is rough. I can't promise that God is gonna deliver you from those financial issues. You're gonna be standing in the end, but you may have to declare bankruptcy because God may have had to get you to that point to see that you don't need things anymore to be happy. You need him, and you need to rely on him. The stuff is just extraneous. For our health issues, right? Man, are we relying on God or are we taking our health and we're just so banking on who we are and my ability to do what I do and I'm so great that I never even have to rely on God? Sometimes those health issues are God's way of saying, I need you to slow down. I want you to spend time with your family. They need you. I will take care of you. We start to see, once we understand the way that God moves in this, that sometimes these tragedies are God's way of shaping our character and creating within us the heart that he knows that we need to have if we're going to accomplish his will. And so the third thing that I think that we'll see here, if we uh, get in that circle and if we start to see God answering that prayer, we're going to see an awareness and a desire to see all people come to know Jesus this desire that all people would come to a life in Christ. Why is that? Because if you see the great and glorious God at work, it's gonna convict you of your sin. And as that sin is burned from your life and as God changes your life, there's gonna be a joy that will start to overflow from you. And there's gonna be a love that starts to develop within you. And that love, you're gonna start to see people for who they really are. You're going to see them as broken people who also need a savior. And so instead of getting wrapped up in the fact, well, they just did this and I'm bitter once again. No, we see that the reason that people are acting this way is because they just need Jesus too. And you remember that you were once that broken person, that lost person, that Jesus came and did a work in and changed your life. And you want that for others. For a handful of people in this room, I know your story over the last year and a half or so. There's multiple people here that as they've said yes to the call to follow Jesus, as they've, as they've submitted themselves to discipleship and to discipling others and to being mentored, all of that, God has done a transformational work in your life. Amen? And I want to give words to what God has been doing in you. He's taken what was dead in your life and he brought you to life. He gave you new life. That is the beginnings of revival. And I've seen that in action here in our church. I've seen that in people's lives. That's what he does. He takes the dead and he makes it alive again. 
And when we see that he took my dead life and he raised it back up to give me new life, how can we hold that back from other people? We can't. It's going to burn within us, this desire that all people would know Christ. And finally, the fourth thing that we'll see is this boldness that comes out of that circle to proclaim the story, the grace, the glory, the gospel of Jesus And because you want others to get what you've got, you can't help but tell them about it. You can't help but look for every opportunity that at every stage, whenever God brings a new blessing in your life, you just have to tell the people around you, can you believe the work that God has done in my life? Can you believe this stuff? Man, I just, God is just, he's astounding, isn't he? Right, like you just, you can't help but find ways to share with people the things that he's been doing. And what is the gospel? That's what we've been kind of getting at this whole series, and that's what I love, is that we can look at the Old Testament and we can still see how God in his sovereignty was at work, how Habakkuk, he had reason to doubt, he had reason to fear, and God came through in that moment, and God solidified Habakkuk's faith in him. And coming out of that, Habakkuk had a stronger ability to lean into God, to lean into him. And we talk about the gospel, that's revival. That's what the gospel is. It's that we were all once dead in our sins and that God wants to raise us into a new life in Christ. And so I just wanna invite you, do you wanna be a person who sees God at work in that circle? Are you willing to be a person, a man or a woman, who will stand in the gap for others, that when times get tough, you're not just looking to preserve yourself, but now your prayer is not just to see God at, at work in your life, your prayer is to see God at work in the lives of everybody around you. My prayer for us is that we can be a church that's willing to stand in that gap that we will be made up of individuals who will be better because we are working together on the same mission. And we've all committed ourselves at some point to shut the door in our room, to get on our knees, and to just visualize the circle around us and to pray that prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. But God, as we close out tonight, I'm placing myself in this circle. And God, I want to see you at work in people's lives. I want to see just an absolute explosion of your glory here at Element City Church. Not just here uh, in our church, but God, in the churches around this town, in the lives of people around this town, not just in the hundreds, not just in the thousands or the tens of thousands. The reality is there are over a million people who live life every day in this city and they don't know you. And yet, God, I am guilty of just walking through life not worrying about that, not even caring about it. And so I just thank you for this little book in the Old Testament of Habakkuk. I thank you for his declaration of faith, and I thank you for his boldness to pray the way he did, to approach you the way he did. But God, I thank you most of all for your kindness in responding to him and leading him to write down these words so that we could have them for us today. What a beautiful picture it is, God, that in the midst of his difficulties, he was able to trust you and to be a person of faith. And how much more so, God, when the things that we face 
don't even compare to what it was that he was going through. If he was able to do that, God, surely you can strengthen us. You can strengthen just little me to have a faith that's similar to that. But God, I wanna see that revival work happen in this city. I wanna see lives just transformed. I wanna see brokenness healed. I wanna see health issues healed. I wanna see relationships mended. I wanna see lives just on fire for you, Jesus. But if that's gonna happen, it has to happen right here inside this circle. It has to start in me and in my heart. And so God, that's my prayer. Would you challenge all of us through this week through the power of your spirit to make time and space to place ourselves in that circle, God. There's a work that you wanna do inside each and every one of us to bring about your glory in our lives, to bring about uh, all of your work so that we can then go and proclaim it to the people that are in our sphere of influence as well. But God, we need men and women who are willing to be faithful to get into that circle and to continue to pray in it until they start to see that change happen. Would you strengthen my brothers and sisters in this room, God, to be people who will say yes to that challenge? People who also wanna see revival break out in their own life, in their own church, in their own city. So God, we love you. How could we do anything else after all you've done for us? The ways that you've carried us through so many seasons and you've enabled us to tread on the high places. And God, the best part of all of that is we never once did that alone. You were always there with us. You were always there. And so whatever we face, we get to know that we can still be standing in the end because we're with you, Jesus. So would you make your presence felt now, no, make your presence felt in this room right now as we submit ourselves and our hearts to you to worship you. Help us to do it in spirit and in truth, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name.
every battle and every struggle and every challenge. We don't go through it alone. You're right there with us. We will be standing in the end because we stand with you. To continue to move our hearts to kind of own that circle for ourselves. Say, God, let revival start here. Within me. Within us that we might see your story changing life after life after life after life. That's what we desire. That's what we dream. So would you start in me first? Lord, we love you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for the series. We thank you for the opportunity just to lean into your word, to see you in practical and tangible ways, to, to call us into our next steps of faith. We pray that we would walk boldly in those this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Friends, it is a delight to have you here real quickly. If you are new, uh, Lyle's going to be at the 10-minute party right there. We've got, I told you about the best kettle corn. Okay, so you can go there. We'd love to meet you if you are new. If you're new online, click that connection card. We'll try to connect with you. Uh, if you go to the app and scroll down, we're doing T-shirt orders the end of this week. So if you want one, order it on the app through the app. You could do that. Uh, and then we'll get that order in. It'll take a few weeks to get that. Um, but next week, I want to invite you back to our worship night online or in person. Really would encourage you to be here in person. Worship night next week. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. And uh, I think you will be incredibly blessed. So may God's spirit go with you. May his smile rest upon you. And may he use you and leverage your life this week to share that blessing with others. God bless you, friends. We'll see you next Sunday.